0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Kathleen Smith to the show. Dr. Kathleen is a licensed therapist and author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible. I discovered her while researching the very topic that we're going to cover today. This is such an interesting and helpful topic, and Dr. Kathleen has such a unique perspective on it. That this is actually being broken down into two episodes because we spent extra time together and want to make sure you guys get all of the information that we covered. In part one of our conversation, we discuss overfunctioning what overfunctioning is, how it shows up, what does it look like with our partners versus with our children, and where do these behaviors stem from? Just hearing the title overfunctioning may not make you feel like this is a really sexy episode or like it's going to apply to you, but let me tell you, this is such a foundational and important episode for anybody who's in relationship with others, truly. We discuss overfunctioning as a symptom of anxiety, and when we experience anxiety, it's often spoken about in individual terms how we feel it as individuals, how we feel it in our body, how it impacts us individually. But we don't usually frame it and think about it in terms of how it interacts with our relationships. And that's where we get these patterns like over and under functioning that are so important for us to be aware of and understand. Chances are we've operated in these patterns and haven't realized it. And today, we're gonna to help you unpack what overfunctioning, underfunctioning really is. And then, next week in part two of our conversation, we're gonna give you some of the tools and places to start on how to shift out of some of these behaviors that you might find are not helpful for you anymore. This is one of those topics that, when I learned about it in school and in my training, completely changed how I view my behavior and the behavior of those around me. So, get ready for part one of my conversation with Dr. Kathleen. Before jumping in, I just want to share our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Mel, and it is titled, The Relief Was Immediate. When I stumbled across Happy as a Mother, the relief was immediate. The things that Erica says, it's been the validation I never received throughout my entire motherhood experience. It felt like finally someone understood how I was feeling. I cried literal tears because for the first time in years, I felt seen and understood. Just coming to listen to this podcast has made me feel like a weight has been lifted. This has become my favorite form of self-care. I come to listen, laugh, learn, and thanks for Happy As A Mother Facebook groups and other platforms, I can also connect with other like-minded moms. I've actually even registered with one of her Happy As A Mother therapists in my area. I'm fully vibing with Erica and I can't recommend her enough. Thank you for all your content and hard work. You have been an actual lifesaver. Mel, oh my goodness. When I tell you I had to pause myself and get it together after reading that review. I'm not joking because these reviews are real. You are all real people, real lives, and I have both strong feelings of just gratitude and joy, but also sadness that you had to walk your journey alone. For each of you listening right now, I am so honored and happy that you are here. This podcast community of ours is about to become one million strong. Now, I can't think about that too much, or (laughs) I might pee my pants because that's just ridiculously crazy to think about, but I'm so grateful and honored that you're here. If you know a new mom, if you know a mom that you think might be under-supported, I ask before we even get into this episode, pause, pause this and send your favorite episode to her because you never know, she might be like Mel walking through this motherhood experience feeling completely alone. Thank you deeply for being here. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Kathleen. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Kathleen, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. I was telling you before we hopped on air, my three littles are home. I'm like, you know, hunkered down in my closet, but I was just so ecstatic to speak with you and I have so many questions. So thank you for taking the time to be here.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So I have your book here and I read it in preparation for our interview. And I, like I said, have a list full of questions. I'm so excited that I'm pretty certain going into this that we're gonna have a two-part series on our hands. Your book is called Everything Isn't Terrible. And I would love to know how you came to specialize in, working with anxiety like what took you down this road because there's so many directions to go in our field isn't there
1: there are and you know i was an anxious grad student who needed an internship site a story that many people <laughs> oh yes i got connected with this place in dc called the bowen center for the study of the family and it was founded by this guy murray bowen who was sort of the father of family therapy And it's a little bit of a different way of thinking about anxiety. You know, when we think about anxiety, we tend to think of it from an individual perspective, like, what are my symptoms? How do I feel? But he had this idea that, you know, we're humans, we're social creatures. We use each other to manage anxiety. Totally. (laughs) So if you don't look at your relationships, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle, you know, because what's the easiest way to calm down? you know, it usually involves another person, not always, you know, you can have a drink, you can go to yoga class, you can do all those things. But most often, we use our relationships to manage anxiety. So that's sort of the work I do with people is helping them think about anxiety, but seeing how it gets fixed for better or worse, and how we relate to each other.
0: Yeah. In the opening chapters of your book, as I was going through, I am trained in like sort of individual psychology, Mm -hmm. right? In the coping skills for anxiety and CBT for anxiety and all of these things. And I have some systems and family training from, you know, my background in school. But as you're framing anxiety, I'm just like thinking about all the listeners and how relatable some of the examples that you're giving are and and what you're explaining. So like we don't experience our anxiety in a vacuum, right? So if I come home and I am anxious, that has a direct impact on my interaction with my partner, let's say, in some way, doesn't it? Like what are some ways our anxiety plays out in our partnerships or family?
1: Sure. So yeah, I mean, anxiety is contagious. And it also makes us allergic to each other. Those are words I'll probably use. I love that. So very quickly, you know, if I'm picking up on my husband's anxiety, right? The only way I feel like I can calm down is to manage him, right? Mm. I forget that I can just calm myself down and let him be responsible for himself. What do I do? I might run out of the room. (laughs) I might reassure him that everything is okay. I might try and fix whatever problem he's dealing with. Or I might pout and start acting anxious myself and try and get him to calm me down, right? Those are all sort of very predictable Mm -hmm. things that we do when we can sense, you know, that something's up with the other person. There's something that's potentially threatening when maybe it really isn't.
0: (laughs) Totally. And I think about, like, if my partner is anxious or frustrated or stressed or whatever, because of my own background, I tend to want to fix it because it makes me very anxious because I might feel like he's mad at me or I have all my own feelings about his anxiety. And so it definitely does provoke a response in me that I've worked really hard to be aware of and manage. But as you said, we don't experience these things just in silos as individuals. They have an ebb and flow with the people around us. And I'm curious how this might look with our children as well, because there is a lot of anxiety and worry and fear when it comes to parenting. So I can imagine it plays out in that dynamic as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, biologically speaking, like especially moms,
1: but this is all parents, you know, we are built to be sensitive to our child's distress. Right. Evolutionarily speaking, like, we want our kids to survive, right? We, we want our genes to be carried to the next generation. I mean, that's not a very touchy-feely way of putting it, but that's the drive, right? Right. And so we want our children to be safe, to grow, you know, to be humans and to experience as little distress as possible. But the trouble is when that alarm goes off, you know, there might not always be an issue we need to address, right? Mm. You know, because part of growing up is to regulate your own distress, right? And that's part of being a parent is to help a child learn to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So it becomes this tricky navigation of when do I swoop in? When do I not? You know, is this a threat? Is it not? You know, and the more anxious you are, the more likely with your child to see something as a threat, when perhaps it's actually quite manageable, and survivable. Or perhaps they can struggle with this for a minute and figure out how to do it. But when the anxiety is up, it's so hard to kind of make those calls.
0: Right. And how I found you actually was through trying to give some language to how these patterns might play out. And I was like Googling over and under functioning and like doing a deep dive into this topic and came across your articles and came across your book And I would really love for us to take this anxiety conversation into this deep dive of pattern, this pattern particularly over and under functioning that can play out. Because I see this everywhere. I see it in my own life. I see it in the clients that I work with. And when we can give language to something and bring an awareness to it, we are empowered to do something about it, right? So why don't we get into just defining what overfunctioning is sure. and underfunctioning and then I'm sure I got plenty of examples for us to pull <laughs> on as well.
1: Well, so this goes back to Bowen theory. It's a concept from the theory I was trained in. And you know, one of Dr. Bowen's contributions is that he looked at the family or the nuclear family and he said when the stress is up, there's really only like three or four things that we do, you know. We like to think that we're these mystical creatures that are so complex, but we're really not, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, I call it the ice cream flavors, the chocolate vanilla strawberry, you know. Right, right. (laughs) There are other flavors, but that's what we're choosing most of the time in our families. And one of them is to become more responsible for each other. If you think of a Venn diagram and you have sort of two circles kind of overlapping or one circle being eclipsed by the other, right, Mm -hmm. we begin to Overfunction for another person in order to manage the stress, right? And so I begin to do things for a child. This could also be for a spouse, for another person that they can do for themselves as a way of keeping things stable, right? Mm-hmm. And that often in families becomes a very stuck pattern. You know, you will see this perhaps with one parent and a child or in the marriage, you know, and then you will often have maybe like an oldest child. I don't know what your sibling position is. I'm mm-hmm. I'm an only, which is, is more like an oldest. I'm an oldest. Yeah. Those are the people mm-hmm. who are the helpers, right? We're in the helping profession. Right. <laughs> often very quickly, our way of managing anxiety is to control, to fix, to function for other people and including our kids, right? And That can help temporarily, but you have to ask yourself, what's the cost of always jumping in, you know, Mm. to keep things chugging along? And there certainly is one. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Totally makes sense. And I'm curious whether this is something that is problematic in the situation, or does it only become problematic when it becomes like a chronic pattern over time? Like, at what point do we start to evaluate our over and under functioning and- Yeah, we'll go there, and then we'll go into some examples because I want people to really sort of internalize what this means for them.
1: Sure. So I try to never think of these patterns as good or bad because if they're universal, then they must serve some purpose, right? Mm. Or we wouldn't have developed them as humans if they didn't work to some degree, right? Yeah. I think of it as, is it automatic or is it thoughtful, the behavior? Okay. Is it something you're thinking about and have decided is the best, way? (laughs) Or is it just you on your autopilot? When you get worked up, here's how you swoop in and manage it.
0: I really like that way of framing it because the coping skills that we lean into, we often, you know, categorize them as adaptive or maladaptive or good versus bad. But really, we lean into a coping skill because it's our means of survival in the moment But we can use more thoughtful and helpful coping skills over time. When we learn and observe our patterns of behavior, we can choose to do things differently and choose to apply things differently. So I love that. And it's more about being curious about finding yourself stuck in this pattern. And and I'll share about myself a little bit. How about. (laughs) Um, So I come from a family that divorced when I was about nine or ten. And I actually ended up living with my dad full time for a time. And I ended up in a very parentified role at like 11, 12 years old of being the one that sets my alarm, gets the family up because gender stereotypes were very, you know, sure, rigid and traditional in my home. And so I over functioned to survive, I would say, in a lot of ways. First child. Only daughter, you know, divorce in the family, perfect storm for a total (laughs) overachiever, over functioning type of personality, right? And it wasn't until I got into our field that I was like, okay, (laughs) this serves me sometimes in maybe more academic settings or whatever, but it doesn't always serve me in friendships, in relationships. And I actually see, if I reflect with my brother, I overfunctioned and therefore he completely underfunctioned, took on very little responsibility, did very little for himself. And it leads to this interesting pattern where I overfunction, he doesn't do anything, I get frustrated and then do the thing. And here we are in this cycle, right? And that plays out in so many of our relationships and our friendships. So I would love for us to maybe paint some examples or pictures for those who are listening. Why don't we start first with our partner? How can we maybe over or under function in our partner relationships, specifically in parenthood? I think we see this so often, right? I can think of so many examples from my own life, you know. So you're saying in the marriage or in the marriage as parents? I think in the marriage as parents, when I think about the pain point for those who are listening, yes, the marriage, but it's kind of like, I'm an adult and I can take care of me. And you're an adult, you can take care of you. Like for the most part, you know, there are problems there. But when it comes to how we're functioning as parents, because this should be like a divided responsibility, right? There should be an equal or maybe not equal, but a fair amount of contributing to this Mm -hmm. dynamic. And what I often hear from moms specifically is, they naturally find themselves in this overfunctioning role a lot of the time with their partner, particularly. Yeah, I can
1: think of a couple examples from my own family. You know, I have a three-year-old and she's in a really big mommy phase right now. Everything is mommy, you know, <laughs> which is nice, but not nice at <laughs> all. Yeah. And so my husband usually gets up with her first in the morning and I'll often hear her yelling, I want mommy this is a mommy area. (laughs) She'll say this is mommy area, (laughs) you know, and what's the quickest way to sort of relieve that tension is for me to get out of bed and go and sit with her, you know? Yeah. And how unhelpful that is for their relationship to develop with each other, you know, that relieves the anxiety of the moment, but it doesn't really help things in the long term. You know, we can sort of know that. But it's hard to remember that sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you're groggy and you just want your kid to stop Oh, totally. Yeah. Or another example I could think of is um, I'm really particular about like car seat stuff, you know, and... Like safety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and if my husband's putting her in the car seat... Every now and then, I'll tell him to do something, you know, when I really don't need to. Because when he's doing it by himself and I'm not there, I totally trust him to do it, right. you know? But what is that about putting me in the situation that I begin to sort of start to function for him? Luckily, my husband is very smart. He knows about overfunctioning. I wish he didn't sometimes. <laughs> and he'll say, I've got this, you know, stop overfunctioning. And I'll say, You're right. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? And so he can hold my feet to the fire. But those are just very benign examples, I think, of how it sort of creeps in. Maybe I'm anxious about something not even related to something with my kid, but I start to kind of fix or control as my way of kind of regulating myself in the moment. So it's really Mm. useful to be on the lookout for that.
0: But it's so hard to do. It is hard to do, especially when it's like often an ingrained pattern in our way of, you know, being and doing. But what I'm hearing you say is sort of at the crux of overfunctioning is this taking responsibility in the moment for something that is not ours. Is that sort of what is happening on a core level here? Like, are we picking up, we see a bag or we see a responsibility if we put some sort of like picture to it, you know, and our partner is wrestling with this bag or they're trying to do it and we just go and we literally like pick it up for them and take it on ourselves. Is that at the crux of overfunctioning, would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's important to remember that it's a two way street. You know, if you're being hard on yourself, to remember that it's a dynamic. There's an under functioner on the other end of it, especially kids. You know, they will do things that invite your intervening, right? Yes, so that yes. it's not just all on you. You know, there's another person participating in the pattern, you know, and yeah. it's not like, you're the overfunctioner. The other person is the underfunctioner. Especially in a marriage, it will flip back and forth depending on what the task is or how a person's doing that day. It's not like you're just stuck in that
0: okay. in that role.
1: That's a helpful distinction. There are lots of ways that my husband overfunctions for me, and I overfunction for him. Mm, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah, I really like that distinction because we're not typing here. Like, it's not a personality type. It's not a trait that stays fixed. It's fluid based on the season in our life or what might be happening. We can switch in and out of this role.
1: Well, it can be both. You know, okay. I think what we talked about with the oldest children, you know, the helpers, uh, yes. the leaders, yeah. that might play out more so in one person, but that doesn't mean that there can't be examples of both. You know, gotcha. there are certainly times where I lay around helpless because I know <laughs> that someone else will swoop in and do it. Right. Um, yes. Yes. Even yeah. though I'm more of an overfunctioner. Gotcha.
0: Yes, I see this play out in my husband and I a lot. I am definitely more of an overfunctioner with him when it comes to the parents. And so, an overfunctioning example that I can give from our teamwork parenting dynamic is he might be like working the children through a tantrum or a tough moment. And I will want to like coach him from the sideline, you know? And what I really need to do is just. Remove myself from the situation because it's making me anxious that it's not going how I would do it and let him find his own way. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science & Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science & Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast that's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem psyched Mummy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage. Raising Kids with Less Anger and More Connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo Rage 20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage 20. That's momwell.com slash rage code rage 20. In this like researching and trying to understand over and under functioning, and we can spend some time understanding under functioning here in a moment too, and what that looks like. But I couldn't help but think about maternal gatekeeping as a concept because I hear about maternal gatekeeping as a hovering on the sidelines, sort of interfering or interjecting, being really protective over babe or child and being really sort of overprotective or taking on sole responsibility, thinking that I should be the primary one that does these things. And so we're kind of like mama bearing everyone else away. Right. And I see that as like maybe on a continuum of a really, maybe more extreme form of overfunctioning, would you say?
1: Yeah. I mean, it certainly can be. I think it's so, I'm thinking of examples of my own life, you know, where maybe another family member or a grandparent. Even a friend, you know, they're about to do something or say something to my kid that I know is going to make her (laughs) scream. They're not causing any harm. She's just three years old and doesn't like certain things, you know. But – how unhelpful is that for my child to not learn that not everyone knows all the rules, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) She's going to encounter people who don't know that she likes this a certain way, right? And that is very useful for her because that's what being a human is, right? Yeah, And it's also not useful for, say, a grandparent to learn how to to manage their relationship and build a relationship with her. If I'm stepping in and kind of curating that or trying to manage that, right? And so that requires me to put up with a little bit of discomfort. It requires my kid to put up with a little discomfort and the other person, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Me
1: overfunctioning might calm things down in the short term, but it doesn't make anyone more capable in the long term, <laughs> which to me is the goal, you know?
0: Yeah. And it certainly re affirms or reestablishes the invisible load and labor still resting on our shoulders, doesn't it? And this is something that I'm very vocal about on our platform is this calling out the invisible load, making it seen, making it understood and acknowledged so that we can more fairly approach this load together as a team and when we find ourselves in over functioning roles or on the more extreme and really like maternal gatekeeping roles, which we come by so naturally because our biology is wired to protect and care for these little human beings, you know, then we really do ourselves a disservice from allowing others to redistribute that load and take some of those bags and some of that responsibility. And I think that I'm pulling on some of these examples because I work maybe with more of some of the extremes of this and clients that I see Mm -hmm. where a mom might, let's say, have really severe postpartum anxiety or something, you know, significant going on and really not be comfortable with partner changing diapers even or doing like little Mm -hmm. things where we feel we really need to be the sole caregiver and this can come on a continuum. Everyone's going to fall at a different place on this, you know, in terms of how frequent or intense they might feel this. But I think that there's something so key to understand about this pattern here is that the more we overfunction, we actually don't give opportunity to our partner to function as they should. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think if you ask yourself, what's better for a kid,
1: you know, always having their diaper changed the right way or in a comfortable way or having multiple relationships with people who are confident, you know, (laughs) in how they relate to her or who feel like they have a solid relationship with her. Everybody's going to say the latter, right? It's kind of a no brainer, but that's hard to remember in the moment to see the long game, right? Yeah. Versus my immediate job is to make sure that my child is not distressed, that I'm not distressed. (laughs) and I don't blame anyone for doing that. I certainly do that, you know, on a daily basis, but kind of striving to see, you know, what a resource it is to a kid and to other people in the family to have those strong relationships and those bonds. And what a relief that is for a mother (laughs) to have that too, you know?
0: Yeah. If we circle back around to the example of like my partner and I, and I'm standing there like being this coach, you know, because I so badly don't want there to be a rupture in the relationship, like I want it to go well. And I'm just like, I feel like my eyes are peeled watching, you know, what's going to happen in this game that's playing out in front of me. And sometimes if there is a rupture or it doesn't go well, it's actually really helpful for them to figure out how to repair. And so there's been this tolerance that I've had to build around Holding back that overfunctioner, right? Like really sitting with and learning self soothing skills, which we're going to get to in our part two on how to manage this <laughs> overfunctioning, underfunctioning. But it's certainly something that we learn to do over time. I'm really curious your thoughts on some examples about underfunctioning, what that might look like with our partner and maybe with our children. Sure. I mean, I could
1: think of so many with the partner, you know, it can often look like maybe using them as a buffer. If I don't want to relate to other people or they make me anxious, I'll bring my partner along and you know, that can help manage my anxiety. I think that's a form of underfunctioning with the family or even with friends. You know, it could be as simple as like, oh, I'm not going to learn how to get to this place because I always go with my spouse and they can give me directions, you know, or Mm. just, you know, asking yourself, what have I never learned to do for myself? Or what are the ways I became less capable once I got married? You know, I think of tasks that I did when I was single, that seemed so easy. And now, you know, if my husband's gone or out of town, they feel like, you know, Herculean tasks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Totally. I never
1: take out the trash and it's such an easy thing. But when I have to do it, I grumble so much because I have sort of lost that muscle, right? Because it doesn't get exercised. Yes. I can think of stuff with like technology. If I were by myself, I would troubleshoot it. But you put my husband in the room and I immediately hand him To him and say, can you take care of this? Right? Mm -hmm. What about just another person being present makes you less capable? (laughs) I think we all have those examples, uh, and it's useful to sort of think about what those lost skills might be. You know,
0: totally. As you're speaking, I'm chuckling, you know, to myself because I had to take a trip to Arizona to film my rage course with Psyched Mummy, my business partner, and so. I was there in December and I had to like full-on adult. I had to like figure out (laughs) how to get myself to the airport, how to navigate the airport, how to get an Uber from the airport to the hotel that I was staying at. All things in which I've never had to do for myself because my husband is very well-traveled and naturally falls into that role. And I kind of looked around and was like, who is the adult here? Like, who's responsible in this moment? Surely it's not on me to get myself, you know, to the other side of the country because that's not something that's happened before, you know? And sure enough, I did it and it was fine, but naturally I would have completely underfunctioned and maybe overfunctioned when it came to the kids and preparing them if we were traveling with them or in other areas. But in terms of like the details and itinerary and travel, I wouldn't have even known anything about it. Like my husband would have just taken over that role.
1: We all have our own strengths, our own chores that we prefer to do or even enjoy doing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think it's useful to ask yourself every now and then, what have I lost? What muscles do I need to maybe flex a little bit Yeah, so that I don't become so incapable and also so my partner doesn't become resentful of always having to do it Mm -hmm. because I can't. You know, there's a little more flexibility there that if we have to switch, if all of a sudden I have to, (laughs) I have to call the Uber and my husband has to manage the kids, that we can do that, you know, uh, without so much grumbling or strife.
0: Right. Yeah. That it can be switched off. And it's not that I can't do it. It's that, you know, he's maybe naturally better at it than I am. And I am, you know, naturally better at packing or doing whatever and so we can split off in that way but if i can't do it and it always falls on him and it doesn't feel like a choice or like he's opting to do it then i think that resentment can really fester, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying to think about underfunctioning in the context of our children and maybe this comes back more to parenting, but i speak openly on the podcast about going through postpartum depression after my third. And anxiety is something i was familiar with, you know, being like a little hyperactive or wound up that over-functioning was something that was familiar. Mm Under-functioning was something like to such a big degree was something that I was not. And I found myself really struggling postpartum. And my husband, so much of the load shifted to him. He was doing bath routine. He was doing... So much of the night week of so many things, like the load was so skewed in a you know, big direction onto him when I was suffering during that time that it makes me think or reflect that our mental health has to play a big role in these patterns, right?
1: Absolutely. you know, and the person who has the most symptoms is often the person who you know, is potentially in the under functioning position. I'm not saying that causes the symptoms, but it's easy for the person who's doing better to take on more, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's helpful to some degree. Of course, you know, if one person's struggling, the other person needs to (laughs) take more responsibility. That's the reality. But when it kind of becomes locked into that pattern, I think it can, you know, often, you know, having, some responsibility, being able to do things for yourself. That's good for your self-esteem. It can be good for your mental health as well. Right. So it can work both ways.
0: Yeah. And even just like your identity and motherhood and feeling like you can do these things and contribute to these things. And, you know, there was a time probably early postpartum where my husband was doing Maybe it was like late pregnancy, you know, like in those late stages of pregnancy, you can't bend for like anything, (laughs) you know. Maybe it was like late stages of pregnancy that he was doing like the bath every night. And it's not that I didn't want to do some of these things. It was just like how I was struggling at the time. And I can see how if I didn't seek my own help and support and treatment and we got gridlocked in a pattern where the load was skewed to him to that degree There would be burnout and resentment and a lot that probably would fester under the surface over time because Mm -hmm. it was just such a night and day difference. Like I was clearly struggling, which I think when we talked about maternal mental health, perinatal care, is our partners are 50 percent more likely to struggle with anxiety or depression if the mom themselves, if we are struggling because of, I think, this, this pattern that plays out. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I had one other thought about underfunctioning. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to hear it or not. Oh, yeah, of course. I think it can also, and this is with overfunctioning too, it can also pop up in sort of our thinking about how we want to parent. You know, I think it's easy for one person to do the thinking and say, you know, these are my, our principles as a parent, this is the strategy or the technique or what we're kind of aiming for without the other person having to do that thinking. And I think it's important for both parents to be able to do that, you know, and that doesn't mean that they have to be on the same page Mm. about everything, Mm -hmm. you know, or they have to have a united front. There's this, I think this myth that parents need to have a united front. Often I think it's less helpful to the kid I think it's good to have two parents who might relate to them a little bit differently. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my bias. You know, but to encourage each other's thinking about how you want to navigate problems versus just relying on one person to like read the book yeah. or come up with a strategy, right?
0: It's good when both of your brains are in the mix, you know. Mhm. Yeah, and I think that plays into the invisible loads that I talk about, we find ourselves in this overfunctioning of being the researcher of the home and the sort of delegator manager of the home and carrying the mental load in a lot of ways. I'm curious your thoughts on whether some of this overfunctioning, do you think is like embedded in the societal expectations of mothers? Because I feel like this is something that a lot of mothers struggle with where sort of Gender or stereotypes or whatever contributes, it's almost as though overfunctioning is expected of us.
1: Sure. You know, I certainly think we can blame society for <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> you know, but my question is always then, you know, how do you explain the variation? Hmm. You know, how are some people able to be a little bit more thoughtful about it, a little bit more able to step back? and others have a harder time. You know, you could have two, say two sisters from the same family. Yeah. And one of them, probably the oldest, (laughs) not always, or whoever functioned as the oldest is going to have a harder time, you know, Mm. and it's going to be their way of managing the anxiety and maybe less so for the other one. Maybe the other one is able to sort of have an easier time seeing what a kid really needs versus what they think they need, or to be able to ask their partner, you know, can you step up and handle this? Because I'm not willing to. I've already, I've got enough on my plate right now. Because there is that variation. And so my critique is when people are always quick to kind of blame the societal norms. Yeah. You know, to kind of put those questions to yourself. And if you feel like you've got too much on your plate, you know, to ask yourself, what am I doing for others that they can do for themselves? You know, that's a pretty easy question that most of us could answer, mm-hmm. you know, and society doesn't have to change for <laughs> for you to stop doing that, you know, people might judge you, they might go, well, that's a little weird. But, you know, yeah, there's a a lot more wiggle room that I think we realize often.
0: I think that's a great note, because it makes it feel achievable to make changes, right? Because sometimes when we feel like we're up against a system that doesn't serve mothers, that can feel too big to make any kind of lasting impact in. So the fact that we can focus on ourselves and what we can let go of, you know, moment by moment, day by day, interaction by interaction, whatever that looks like, it really is going to help us just make these incremental steps forward for ourselves.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think that if you spend a 24 hours and you made a note of every time you jumped in when you didn't have to, you know, I think most of us would have a pretty long
0: list. Right. <laughs>
1: There's so much you can play around with. I think that makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. This has been so incredibly insightful. I feel like I could pick your brain about this all day long. And I loved your book. Just to remind everybody, it's Everything Isn't Terrible. Where can they find it?
1: Well, anywhere you buy books, you can also go to my website, which is KathleenSmith.net. And I also have a free newsletter there where I write about all this stuff.
0: Amazing. We'll link all that in the show notes and in the blog post. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Erica. It's been useful for me to think about too.
0: Wasn't that such an interesting conversation with Dr. Kathleen? We set the stage really helping you understand these patterns of over and under functioning. And next week, we're going to dive into what you can do to help shift these patterns. Just a reminder that as you're reflecting this week, and in the meantime, if you feel like you need added support, we have our Happiest Mother Wellness Center with mom therapists who have experience like you, but education in working with adjustment to motherhood, that are available remotely to support you through this unlearning and reparenting journey that we're all on in parenthood. Our wellness center currently serves British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario, and we are expanding nationwide over the coming months. And while our team is specialized in perinatal and maternal mental health, They also specialize in things like trauma, anxiety, depression, relationship challenges. So there is such a deep level of experience in our team, and I learn from them every day. To book your free 15-minute consult, head to happyasamother.co book. That's happyasamother.co book. I'll see you back here next week for part two with Dr. Kathleen. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.